Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinn, joined by our managing editor and recruiting guru, Russell Johnson. And we're going to talk about uh, the Central Florida game, and we'll get into Syracuse as well for Georgia Tech football as the season kind of rolls along. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday, and it was a little bit of a tough day in terms of the ACC schedule as Wake Forest. Notre Dame got canceled due to an outbreak of uh, COVID-positive tests and then the probably ensuing contact tracing piece uh, for the Irish. So that game's now going to be played December 12th, which moves the ACC championship game to probably the 19th of December now, barring any thing else because there's so many games now getting moved back to that that weekend or the 12th they said originally be the 12th or the 19th and technically georgia tech still in uh first place i guess uh, i don't know if anyone's 2-0 and yet in the acc but um you know it, it's a kind of a weird situation right now with the with the weird acc as it is and um yeah i'm looking at the standings and georgia tech's in a tie with a wide array of schools right now, including Notre Dame, uh, Pitt, Boston College, NC State, North Carolina, of course, Clemson as the undefeated teams. You have Virginia and Virginia Tech who have still not played a league game despite um, now entering the third week, full week of uh, season uh, due to them having a game canceled already. So just been kind of a weird stretch here, Russell, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And um, I, I think that uh, we're, we're not anywhere near the um, the peak of these cancellations and reschedulings and contact tracing and everything. And I also, but I also don't think we're at the, the beginning stages anymore. Um, I think the beginning stages really kind of hit during week zero when, you know, you saw all of these games being rescheduled and pushed back. Um, but, but right now it, it seems like teams are being more so cautious than they are actually worried about an outbreak you know you mentioned the the Notre Dame game being rescheduled for this coming weekend and their opponent from last weekend's game South Florida against FAU actually just got postponed as well and it seems as if you know athletic administrations and everything uh, despite all the money on the line they know that they can they have room and wiggle room in the schedule right now to where they can still get these games played and they're able to still have a season. And I think that's really what it boils down to is the fact that they're, everybody's still just so excited to, to have a football season. That, you know, if it takes a, an extra week, if they have to push back the, the conference, tournament, conference championships, then they're more than willing to do that if it means that they get to play these games. Yeah, it's, and it's sort of the situation where, like, everybody has sort of, like, one – sort of maybe out with the way the schedule and the buys lay out and everything that most games they can figure it out. And that's something I've told Jackets Online subscribers from the get-go is you have to be prepared for an unexpected season. I talked to some of the, the football staff at Tech and basically, you know, they agreed with me that, you know, they've prepared for everybody in the league basically with the possibility that games will get changed around and you may end up playing someone different that's on your, then who's on your schedule right now. You just don't know uh, week to week what's going to happen. And you're very much at the mercy, like South Florida, you know, was, was had a pretty clean situation in terms of their testing and they go up to Notre Dame and now they're caught in a, and lose a game possibly at FAU. They're trying to reschedule that one, but that just kind of goes to show. And, um, you know, the whole ACC is playing Notre Dame, so they're kind of 
looking at them now, they've taken the Virginia Tech role as the the sort of black sheep of the league at the moment with the COVID stuff. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech's finally going to play. And it's it's just been sort of a hot mess. Um, and it's sort of a hot potato that's getting passed around team to team. And I think, you know, before the season's done, everyone's going to be impacted um, in some way, shape, or form. You know, Georgia Tech's already been caught a little bit with the contact tracing piece and some guys being out. And without getting into too much detail about that, I think that's something that is also lost on a lot of people is just how um, out of the, the control of the coaches this thing is. You know, Andrew Thacker, the defensive coordinator for Georgia Tech, spoke with us on Tuesday, and he said that, you know, on Saturday – Jeff Collins sends them a list of guys that are who's available and who's not available. And that's what they have to go with. Um, And they hold their breath until that 9am text the day of the game, Uh, you know, before they travel, they're testing people and they've, you know, you can have people scratch then. Uh, And then you just have the normal stuff you have, right? Injuries, you have guys maybe get in trouble or have some academic things they have to deal with or whatever. Those things all crop up throughout the season generally and now you add this other piece that makes it that much harder to to maintain a healthy roster. It's going to be really interesting to see week to week what happens because I joked about this, you know, several weeks ago, but you could end up, you know, come the Clemson game, Clemson could have key people out. Georgia Tech could have key people out. You just don't know. So every week's going to be an adventure in this scenario. And uh, you're starting to see guys leave programs, um, the transfer portal starting to kind of pick back up again as well. So that's going to be sort of an interesting piece of all of this too, like with the extra year of eligibility and the likelihood of an immediate transfer, are we going to see people move around? How are teams going to approach that? You know, Georgia tech doesn't have a ton of space um, and they're already sort of projecting for a larger class as it goes. So there's just, this whole thing is, um, I imagine for like coaches, it's got to be a nightmare. Absolutely, and uh, you know, you were mentioning the the fact about the the nine o'clock text message and everything, and and that's just absolutely like unpredictable. Like not just like in terms of being now, but if you were to look back, like let's go seven months back, let's go to February or January, and before any of this stuff kind of started, you would never in your mind, right mind ever, think that you would be finding out about a player being in or out of a game, not for a drug test being failed or passed, or a a grade failed or passed in in class, but a a COVID test. And and just the amount of unpredictability with that, and the little bit of time that you have to, to change your entire game plan, potentially. Like, you know, Georgia Tech fans saw that on Saturday when the entire defensive game plan changed because of depth issues and because of COVID issues. Yeah, I think that, you know, as you kind of move along in all of this, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's the first team that loses their quarterback or the first team that loses some other key guy. You know, Georgia Tech's had bad luck. You had Jordan Mason get hurt in the Florida State game and not play last week. Um They've had, you know, they've lost TK Chemezda for the season. Trey Swilling's down with an injury. Um, Antoine Owens is still rehabbing from his injury from last year. And Antonius uh, Clayton hopefully back sooner than later uh, with his issues. So it's just, it's been sort of amazing to see the, the amount of depth testing. I mean, if you go back with Georgia Tech, 
we talk about the defensive line, right? You had no TK, you had no Ant, uh, Antonius Clayton, no Curtis Ryan's, who was a late scratch. You had no um, Antoine Owens. Chris Martin opted out before the season started to to work on football. Uh, Jaquan Henderson and Kelton Dawson both uh, decided to transfer out. That's seven guys right there that were all in your two deep last year that or projected to be in your two deep this year that weren't playing on Saturday against a central Florida team. That's, you know, top 15 in the country. And I know some people are kind of taking the slack out of them a little bit for, you know, being where they are in the rankings. But the reality is even if this was a full season with the big 10 and the PAC 12, you know, maybe instead of 14 or 12, whichever poll they were in last week, they'd be, you know, 16 and 18 or something. Like, it would not be a huge difference. They're still a top 20 team. So, you know, I thought it was impressive what they did on Saturday to to survive that for three quarters and, you know, two minutes or so. And then, like, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon. But, um, yeah, they, they played absolutely. them well. The wheels completely fell off the wagon. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the turnovers kind of killed them. It was amazing, though. They had the five turnovers, only gave up 17 points off of that, which was – and really it was six turnovers because you had an onside kick and a turnover on downs. So that's seven. And you give up 17 points out of those seven quick changes or whatever I think it was. That You know, that's a pretty good stat um, that speaks well to the defense. I think they got tired, man. Like, they just – they were thin, um, you know, thin at corner. You have tr- no trace willing. You're thin at um, – you have guys get dinged up in the secondary. Caleb Oliver left the game. Um, it was just and – you, and you just don't have your normal defensive front. And the, what's interesting is the defensive fronts played a lot better this year. I think there's a lot of credit to Marco Coleman and Larry Knight, the two defensive line coaches. They've been getting natural pressure. I think they're at five-something sacks and, you know, a bunch of tackles for losses and – that's almost half their production from last year in total, and they've done that in two games already against two decent offensive teams. Like they weren't playing, you know, Gardner Webb and William and Mary or something. Oh, William and Mary is usually decent, but they weren't playing like FCS teams or you know, like they were playing teams with legit guys. Um, Florida State not the greatest offensive line in the world, but still, it, it'll be interesting. And then this week they play Syracuse, who's been really awful. Like I don't. Uh, having been someone that watched a Sterling Gilbert offense in person several times, uh, they're getting a nice taste of that. He's the former offensive coordinator at the University of South Florida. Kind of was uh, instrumental in sort of the unraveling of Charlie Strong at both Texas and and South Florida. And they've scored 16 points in two games against one decent defensive team to good and Pitt. You know, I think the jury's still out there to see how good they really are because they haven't played uh much of anyone yet and then north carolina who's okay on defense like they're not mac brown will be the first to tell you they're not dynamic on that side of the ball yet and they had guys out in that game too and so did pitt i think on defense so they you know they this should be a game that georgia tech wins and you look at it on paper syracuse is really struggling on offense georgia tech's offense is moving the ball really well they got some nice weapons uh, the defense is playing at a decent clip. They've been very good about getting pressure and stopping the run in particular, which is something that Syracuse has tried to establish very poorly this year. They're averaging two-something yards a carry this year. So, to me, this is this is your 
it, in terms of the schedule, this is the easiest game you have all year right now ahead of you at Syracuse. And it's a road game. It's in the league. And it sort of shows how difficult the schedule is just in general now with the modified situation. You play in Central Florida instead of playing Austin P like Pitt did or um, Campbell like Wake Forest is going to do. He's yeah. got awful or – you know, like, it's just a different animal with the schedule that Tech has. And I think that, um, to me, they did the right thing getting the Central Florida game out of the way. I think you could have punted that game down the line. And that's a grenade for later on if you punt that because the team's been good. Like, that could mess you up more in a few years if you push that game back and play, and they played uh, – it was Gardner-Webb who was on the schedule – um, instead of Central Florida. So I actually agreed with that decision to leave that game in and go ahead and knock that out and then focus, you know, on rescheduling those other games that are a little bit easier to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, uh, like you said, kind of a smart scheduling decision. And, you know, with everything going on, you've got schools who are, are changing their schedules a, a couple of weeks before, several a handful of days before even. And, you know, with the amount of players that it seems – Georgia Tech had out last week, they could have done what some of these other schools are doing in terms of, you know, potentially pushing back the game or, you know, just even the thought could have crossed their mind, but it doesn't seem like that's in, you know, Jeff Cobb's DNA or anybody really on the coaching staff to, to kind of give up or to, I guess, as, you know, they say on the Jackets online message board is to, to, to forfeit. Um, it doesn't seem to be something that is going to happen. Um, ACC doesn't really have those types of protocols or anything like that that the other conferences have, um, especially the SEC, who, who gets going this weekend and everything. Yeah, the real football starts this weekend. I'd say that in my most sarcastic tone. Um, yeah, you get the SEC. That'll be really interesting because I'm, I'm super curious how they manage all of this, especially with um, sort of the craziness that's on their, their side of the field. And um, – I, it's going to be a fascinating season. I'm super, I'm still super curious about bowl games and what happens there. I don't feel like you can play them without like a lot of fans in the stands. What's the situation going to be like come December? Is there going to be a desire to even go to some of those bowl games? Like if you're Georgia tech and you're, you know, 500 and, or but one game over 500 and are you wanting to go play in Annapolis or Detroit or Boston or wherever there's a bowl game like I don't know is it worth it even to do it financially from a, a school standpoint too that's a, a whole other question as well that yeah I mean these, exactly. you gotta think man they're bleeding money right now and Todd Stansberry's been very nice about uh, kind of how he explains it and, and they're being, doing everything they can to be safe but they're losing a lot of money like let's let's not you know mince words here everybody is whether you're Georgia Alabama um Georgia Tech, you know, Miami, whoever, you're losing money. Miami's about to play Florida State with no fans in their stands. And Florida State's head coach isn't going to be there because he's out with the COVID. So, um, you know, it's just – this is like the, just literally the, the craziest year ever. And this season is a microcosm of everything that has bizarrely happened in 2020. And I look forward to seeing kind of the the crap show every week, what happens with – with teams as as you know we watch these different games unfold and you know this one this weekend you know I say that Georgia Tech should win you know, who knows who lines up for the team who's out like 
you know, I, I could ask, you know, Brent Key or whoever on the staff right now, and they couldn't, they couldn't tell me with any certainty. You could ask Jeff Collins. He couldn't tell you with any certainty who's going to play Saturday or not because they just don't know. Like, they won't know until they get on the bus to go to the airport and then Saturday morning, like, who's going to be dressed up for those games. And it's sort of a, a – it's the one thing that um, as much as people like to make fun of his ATL concept and having the, all the different huddles and the way they practice, it makes a lot of damn sense in this era. Like – they're getting four different quarterbacks reps in practice, getting them ready to play. They're doing the same at running back. They're five, six deep at running back. Uh, you know, wide receiver, they've got plenty of bodies. They dressed every freshman on Saturday because they had so many guys out. Um, that Except for Albany Casey, like all but one guy dressed like uh, that was in the freshman class, which is tall, I've never seen before in my life uh, at a game just – there's there's depth issues just across the board from different things like you might have two corners out here that are roommates or you know a linebacker or whatever um and those things are gonna sort of be an issue throughout the season so you got to just kind of buckle down and just philosophy of getting so many guys ready getting them reps not just making it all about the ones and twos and those are the only guys that get reps and the ones get 75% and the twos get 25. And then if you're third team, you're screwed. And then there's a scout team. He doesn't run it like that. They run, when you go to one of their practices, they run a lot of huddles. They run a lot of tempo and everybody gets reps. So even the developmental team, which is what they call the scout team, those guys are running Georgia tech plays for the most part, unless it's something unusual uh, from their own calls. They'll call them, the way that, you know, Dave Patnode would call it or Andrew Thacker on offense and defense, the same calls, the same strategies. They just run what they run. And it's going to be uh, a beneficial to a team that's used to chaos. And they went through it last year, man. Think about all the injuries they had last year. Like you lose uh, Antoine Owens or I talked about, you lost Sylvain towards the end of the year at defensive end. You lose Kenny Cooper and Jalen Camp in the first couple games of the season. Uh, you know, Lucas Johnson, the guy you thought might be your quarterback, gets hurt. Tobias Oliver, the guy you prepped to be your starting quarterback, ends up playing wide receiver. They just had to be flexible, right? Like, it's it's par for the course in this weird COVID land. And I think that um, it's going to be an unusual season. And, um, you know, Jeff Collins embraces chaos, as he likes to say. He's the, the – uh, it likes to create chaos and defense and I could see them kind of maybe stealing some games here with this philosophy and the way they play. If, uh, if they get the right breaks and, and can stay healthy at the right positions. Yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of why they are doing what they're doing um, in terms of, you know, personnel and, you know, like you just touched on in depth, really the, the whole ATL concept and, this is like the best time ever to have something like that because at other schools and other conferences and even the opponent that, that Georgia Tech's lining up against this weekend, I, I took a look at um, Syracuse's depth chart and, and it's like an actual depth chart where like you can you can tell exactly who's getting the one reps, exactly who's getting the two reps and, and who really may not be getting any reps. And just the advantage that that may play for Georgia Tech on Saturday um, in, in the case that they do have um, you know, potentially tight ends out and contact tracing or offensive linemen or wide receivers or really anybody, e even the quarterback, that those players are going to be prepared. 
whereas a school like Syracuse, where they may have depth in terms of numbers, but not depth in terms of talent, it's where there's going to be such a large drop-off that that could completely change the, the concept of the game. And it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. This is such a different team than, you know, most weeks Russell and I have this discussion about, you know, Russell asked me, hey, do you see a bunch of guys that Georgia Tech recruited on Team X or whatever? Like, we, we tend to talk about that, right? Like, yeah. so I was like, all right. He asked me about Syracuse, and I was, like, looking at it, and I'm like, I really don't recognize any of these guys. And the truth is, like, their recruiting base is they're recruiting against mid-Atlantic teams like the Carolina schools and Maryland and Virginia and Virginia Tech. Syracuse and Rutgers and and Boston College those are the teams they recruit against so like their kids some are from Florida some are from uh, the Northeast some are from the mid-Atlantic areas but there's just not a lot of carryover there's they're they're almost like they're in a different league in some ways I mean they've played once um, I think it's just once since they've been in the league and that was uh, a horrendous game for Syracuse they lost 56 to nothing um Scott Schaefer, who had been the defensive coordinator, I think at Stanford, was the head coach at the time at Syracuse, and he made this sort of pronouncement that they had this great plan for for Georgia Tech's triple option at the time and just got obliterated by not a great Georgia Tech team that year. It was the – other than the Louisville game, Paul's last year was the worst game that I ever saw uh, from an ACC team against Georgia Tech, so – you know, this one has a chance to, to be ugly. Like, if if Syracuse can't figure out how to move the football, like, they scored – last week they had – oh, they had like 114 yards passing or something, and and most of it was on one trick play where they brought in the guy who had been the, the starting quarterback a few years ago that had cancer and Rex Culpepper. And he came in through like a, a trick play – they got 67 yards, and that was like half their passing for the day on one play. I mean, yeah. they they ran – I think they had like 200 yards or something last week. Like, it, they're just not in good shape for whatever reason this year. And uh, it's funny because Dino Babers has been like the flavor of the month coach, and people have talked about how great he is, and he was getting ready to – you know, he's, he's turned down all these jobs and stuff, and – He's in two games into his 2020 season, and they're averaging 1.7 yards per carry running the football. That's one. You could fall forward and get that, like on a play. You could just take a QB sneak and get 1.7 yards probably running. Um, Their quarterbacks are not throwing the ball well. They're at 46% or something, 47% on the season, um, two picks, one touchdown. Just the yeah, production. Even, even DeVito hasn't really played well. And, you know, he was they, the – They pulled him and he got hurt too. Yeah, yeah. So – I mean, it, it, it seems like they're missing because I know, I believe, either their top one running back or their top two running backs both opted out of the season. Yeah. I knew the one running back. He was, he was from Mississippi. He was – a really highly recruited kid and kind of just wanted to do his own thing and took off and went to New York and um, played really well and then decided to, to opt out of the season with, with COVID and everything. Um, so that's a, a big loss for them. And like you said, you know, their running game hasn't recovered. And to be honest with you, if there's any type of situation or game where they may be able to do so, 
it would be the Georgia Tech game. And to that, I think that would have to be the, the X factor of this game coming up this weekend is, is can Syracuse run the ball? Because if Syracuse can run the ball, you know, the quarterback may have an opportunity to, to throw the ball down the field later in the game. Yeah, they ran 50, they ran 34 times against Pitt. I, mean, I guess that includes sacks and stuff <clears throat> for 51 yards on Saturday. Um, they had 171 yards of offense in that game. That was it. It's not a recipe for success. No, they um, they had more kick return yards than rushing yards in the game. They only returned three kicks. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's the blind. That's not good. No, their defense has played okay. They held. They hung with North Carolina. Okay, they played Pitt pretty well. Pitts. I think the strength of Pitt is their defense still. Um, but, you know, it's their home opener. I I think that's sort of an X factor to me. I'm going to be really curious to see what the this game's like because this is the the biggest mismatch Georgia Tech's had on paper in a while in a game. Uh, <laughs> knock on wood here, going back to the Citadel game probably last year. Um, but the offense is a lot more competent than it was, too. You talked to Dave Patno yesterday, the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech, and he feels really good about where they are. And he was right. They, they've, they've missed on, I think, four, four or five red zone chances already this season um, where they just got no points at all. Block kicks, turnovers, and, and turnover on downs. And, you, you know, if you get all of that, it's a much different looking season, right? They're at, he said they should be averaging 30 points a game, and he's right. Like, they look much better. They're moving the ball really well between the 20s. Um, they're just getting bogged down a little bit in the red zone. It was an issue last year. I think they got a little cute in the in the Central Florida game and the FSU game to me with some of the option concepts. I think you can't do that with a young quarterback like Jeff who's still – maybe having some issues with ball security. I think you need to give him very definitive decisions to make um, with the football and not – if he's doing read option, make it read option, not not speed option stuff on the outside where there's a lot of traffic because when you're in that short yardage, teams get a lot more aggressive. They're getting upfield more, and that sort of happened to him in the last game with a bad fumble in the red zone. Um, but – you know, they got to take pressure off the defense. Offense has to play well. Tech's defense needs to play well, too. This is not Clemson or Notre Dame or Central Florida. This is a team that's struggling offensively, and they need to not give them hope early in this game, and they've really got to jump on them and not allow them. So I'm sure Dino Babers and Sterling Gilbert are going to come out with whatever they can to try to move the ball at the beginning of the game to, to get some momentum. So uh, – it's going to be an interesting game. It's not maybe what you would expect. Um, and then with this young team that Georgia Tech has, you can't pencil in a W every time, right? Like you're just not – they're not at that place. It's a little different when you're in year 10 with Paul Johnson or year four with Georgia Larry or whatever, and you kind of know what to expect. They're still in the unexpected phase of this thing where things could – can kind of turn on them a little bit. So I think that this is a key game. This is a must, as close to a must win as you can get this early in the season um, for Georgia Tech because you go into the bye after this and then you have some hard games with Louisville and Clemson coming up right on the heel of that bye. So 
to me, like you got to, to get them now, take advantage of this opportunity. You're playing a team that's struggling, keep them struggling. Don't give them hope early in the game. Step on their step on their necks, as people like to say, and and put them away. Yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Is uh, Syracuse having fans at the game? Uh, no, they are not. So there will be no fans either. So that'll be an interesting twist for Georgia Tech because they haven't played. I believe Syracuse played against North Carolina with no fans and 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 Chapel Hill to open the season. So they've experienced that, but Georgia Tech is not. So that'll be a little bit interesting. It wasn't like the atmosphere was electric at FSU uh, by any stretch. Uh, so, um, it, you know, that's a that's another weird factor. They're going to be in Syracuse's stadium on that weird turf in the Carrier Dome. Like, you know, there's a lot of kind of stuff to be concerned about as you – if you're Jeff Collins, I'm sure he's almost in some ways more concerned – going into this game than last week because last week there really wasn't a lot of pressure on them. They were the dogs in that game. They go into this one, they're eight-point favorite or whatever, nine-point favorite to, in this game, and that's just a different animal. And it's got to be uh, a big, big, big um, moment for Jeff Collins to show they're kind of moving the ball ahead and and an opportunity to kind of set themselves up to, to have a decent season. Cause you can't, there's no gimmies this year. Right. So you got to take advantage when you play a team that averages six points a game, you got, you got to win that game. Like, you know, even if you win seven to six, like it doesn't matter. You just got to win. Like, and yeah, exactly. I think that's what I'm looking for on Saturday. Is this the first time since the Citadel game last year that George Tech's favorite in the game? Probably were they favored in the NC State game on Thursday. Yeah, that's the one I'm wondering about is NC State. Um, and I they were favored in the USF game, but that was before the Citadel game. I'm pretty right. sure they were favored in the USF game. Um, or maybe they weren't. Uh, it's hard to remember. I don't follow the lines a lot, so I just kind of yeah. notice it when they're weird. Um, I know we've got we've got gambling gurus on the on the message board, so I'm sure somebody will be able to comment on the thread once we post this with a an answer, but I just think that's a, another type of layer. It's obviously not pressure, but it's just something that, you know, Collins and Georgia Tech aren't used to being. You know, they're used to being the underdog. They're used to being the, the go-to story. But everybody on the ACC network, everybody nationally is expecting Georgia Tech to go into Syracuse in an empty dome indoors and beat the Orange. Like, it's not going to be a surprise if they do that. It would, it's more so living up to expectations that they've set up since they beat Florida State to start the season. And I think that's something that kind of goes a long way with, uh, with fans. You know, on Saturday, kind of as the game was falling apart in the, the mid to late fourth quarter, you could see some of the, the old Georgia Tech fans kind of coming out and, and being who they have been for so many years in terms of the, the negativity and, oh, this is just how things go for us and – so-and-so needs to get on the bench. We need to see what else this guy can do and things like that. But now with Colin, this game, like I said, he has to win this game. It's not like you said a must win, but it's about as close as you can get week three of a season in a global pandemic. Oh, you used it. You dropped the global pandemic. Somebody's got to take a shot now. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the thing that I would point out is, you know, five of the next seven games are against teams that are ranked as of today that probably 
most of them will be ranked when they play. Maybe Louisville Pitt, they could probably interchangeably fall out of the polls depending on what happens. But, um, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami looks a lot better. They're less of a train wreck. These are not easy games, right? And most of your winnable games right now are road games, Syracuse, Boston College, NC State, and then the Duke game. Um, so you got to win these. Like, And really, let's be honest, if you can come out of this season with five, six wins, people are going to be amazed. And to me, like Jeff would be a nominee for coach of the year, like in the ACC, um, if he turns it around that much uh, after the season they had and with the schedule they're playing. So to me, like, I want to see something. The other thing I would like to see is I want to see them get over that 30-point mark. I think that's a um, kind of a big measure that they kind of need to show with this young offense that they can score some points and and put some pressure on teams. Because I think if you're Louisville uh, getting ready in the next week and you see they, they put some points on, on Syracuse and put some good film up, that gives you that much more to prepare for. And I imagine Louisville's going to be charged up. There's still kids there that were part of that just absolute ass whooping that they laid on, laid on them in 2018 and, and their own stadium. So I imagine their guys will be fired up. They always have sort of a large fan base. That will be a Friday night game that's on TV. So, yeah, this is an important game on Saturday. Like, you got to kind of take advantage. You don't play Syracuse very much. There's some bragging rights there. Um I, to me, like, I, I just don't see any way um, that it it won't look bad if they lose. Let's put it that way. Unless Syracuse just went on a hellacious run afterwards, it would it'd be a v- bad visual if they lost the game. And that's, you know, right now yeah. they have a lot of positive momentum again, right? They lost it because of the COVID stuff and not being able to do the piece of recruiting that they do. And the recruiting class probably isn't what it would be if, this were normal times and they were able to have kids on campus. I think they've suffered a little bit there. You know, they're still doing very well with the recruiting class, but it's not maybe even what Jeff and them envisioned uh, going into the season. And now you've got some momentum again. You've got exciting young players, three true freshmen on your offense that are guys who, if they keep up what they're doing, will be on the all ACC teams and Jeff Sims and Jordan Williams and, and uh, Jameer Gibbs. So, there's a lot of things that people are excited about. So now you got to keep them excited, keep them engaged, give them hope, give them hope for this next stretch of games too. Like you're going to Louisville's going to be a tough game. Clemson's a tough game. They go up to Boston college after that. That's not an easy game. Uh, and then you play Notre Dame, Pitt, and Miami all in a row who are all very good teams as well. You gotta, you gotta get some stuff to get your fans going and, their next two road games, this game and the game at Boston College, to me, are really important games for Jeff Collins to try to win. The team's played well on the road under him. Uh, you know, they upset Miami last year on the road. They upset Florida State to open this season. They've shown they can play well um, on the road. Let's see it on Saturday with no fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's what it's going to be. And then, like you said, next Friday. I mean, that's a, or not next Friday. You know, the Friday after the bye, the Louisville game. That's going to be a that's going to be a battle. Like that's that's not just going to be a a big game, or you know, a, a game to watch. You know, on the side, like people they want people nationally to be tuned in on that. They want people watching every play. Like that's a that's another big cha- big moment for for Collins and Georgia Tech. And going into that game two and one rather than one and two. 
there's a significant difference in that. And I don't think that could possibly be overstated. Well, and in a lot of eyes of people, those are two guys who were hired for two different jobs at the same time, Scott Satterfield and Jeff Collins. And Sat did a great job turning Louisville around very quickly, um, who were in a terrible mess after Bobby Petrino. And there were a faction of Tech fans who wanted Scott Satterfield to be the head coach of Georgia Tech because of the success he had at App State and um, just his coaching acumen. And, you you know, they're a little further along. Louisville also had the benefit of they had basically a mass exodus with Petrino. So they were able to start kind of at square one, um, bringing kids in, bringing transfers in. They had a lot more scholarship space. Than Georgia Tech, so it's a little bit of a different situation, and the academic piece is just totally different as well. But you know, those guys are going to compare it against each other. It's the natural thing that happens in coaching when guys get hired at the same time in a league. Those two guys are Jeff and and Scott are going to be compared against each other, and it'll be interesting to kind of see that. And that's going to, I guarantee you, be a uh, storyline for that game um, for the national people looking at it as these guys are in their second years of their programs and you know, where are they at and, you know, how much progress have they made and all of that sort of stuff. And it'll be interesting because, yeah. you know, Louisville just lost to Miami. They play um, Pitt on Saturday at Pitt. That'll be a game that's kind of a pivotal piece of this early ACC slate in terms of kind of the pecking order of the league because Pitt's looked really good. Louisville played Miami pretty well, but, you know, just couldn't – Miami just outplayed them and won the game. And so – um yeah you know this then, is a I key mean, moment and they're got to buy as well by the way before they play georgia tech too so you know everybody's going to have that that long window to kind of get ready for sure and i think you know that goes without mentioning how heavily louisville recruits in the state of georgia and how much they they push you know getting the chance to play these kind of games and and for georgia tech getting the chance to play these kind of games i mean this game on a on a normal schedule would still have likely had, you know, some type of national spotlight, but it, it wasn't going to be the only game on at that time, like it is on Friday night. And I think for both coaching staffs, that's a big selling point for them, um, not just in terms of recruiting, but in terms of getting eyes on the program. And if you have eyes on the program, the one thing you don't want to do, especially if it's to a recruit that is possibly out of state, like for instance, a recruit from, you know, Tennessee or, or Alabama for Georgia Tech, who may have had their game or their season, you know, kind of suspended or, or taken away for a little bit due to COVID, they've got a chance to watch that game. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, disappoint. I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're about two weeks ahead, you know, talking about the Louisville game, but that's just such a big opportunity as well for not just the program, but for the, the perception nationally too. Yeah. I mean, Louisville has 24 guys from Georgia on their football team this year. And those aren't walk-ons. They're kids that were recruited out of the state of Georgia. Like, there's not a huge recruiting area for 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 Louisville. And there's only a couple kids in Kentucky, and then they try to recruit Tennessee. They don't actually do a ton of that. And they come down here and recruit hard, and they recruit hard in Florida. And there are a ton of kids from Georgia on that team. And believe me, they'll be fired up coming down here and playing and you know, maybe having their parents if they can get tickets at the game and that kind of thing. And Friday night games are always super interesting at uh, at Georgia Tech. So, uh, you know, 
that's going to be an interesting game. The whole noon thing with Syracuse is normally a trap, no fans. There's a lot of things that set this up as a trap game, even though Georgia Tech's not a program that should be in a situation where they look at anything like a trap game at this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, I wouldn't call it the perfect recipe, but there are certain things that kind of make you make it feel like a trap game because it would be a letdown if they lost. They do have a big game coming up after the bye week. And I know fans for sure, fans and, and everybody else who I, you know, we talk to, even the players and the coaches, obviously, they would much rather go into that bye with a win than with a loss. Cause especially if, you know, in, in that hypothetical loss, it comes with more turnovers, um, another con- lack of control with the ball, um, another defensive letdown, things like that. You know, that's stuff you can't, you can't afford to do. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, man. Um, looking forward to seeing what the what's going to happen on Saturday. Uh, any kind of recruiting tidbits you want to drop here, real quick, before we wrap things up? Well, Georgia Tech has offered a, a running back, so that's something. A yeah, you'd you'd run on class. your pedestal and said there would be no running backs. Yeah, I think there uh, there may be some some movers and shakers in that room in the next uh, several months. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but, you know, he's a running back from Alabama. He's really fast. I've watched him, I believe, several other schools were recruiting him before he committed to, to UCLA. Um, you know, at the time when he committed to the Bruins, he was really excited about being on the West Coast and, and playing out there. But, you know, maybe all of the situation and the uncertainty going on around the world, you know, a lot of kids are going to want to stay closer to home. And that's something that schools like Georgia Tech can really take advantage of because of the talent within the, the radius that they're in. You know, in, in Atlanta, in Alabama, even in the Florida where they've recruited really well since taking over, um, those are the three areas where they can really kind of capitalize on these kids wanting to stay home, especially if you don't have the, the Alabamas and the Auburns, you know, wooing and, and ready at the table to, to make an offer. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see uh... – what happens in that room, as you kind of alluded to, I think they're, they're, you know, they have, they're going to play four guys and that's probably about it. So if you're not in that top four, it's going to be really hard to get playing time anytime soon. Um, and I imagine that's going to be a consideration for, for some of the younger guys that are not in the rotation. And one of the older guys is not in the rotation right now either. So um, yeah, I, you, they may actually finally be in a position where they take another running back, which would be really fascinating. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, offering – I wouldn't call it this late in the game, but this is around the time last year where, you know, you started seeing the offers to kids like Katavian Franks and, and things like that. Um, I mean, the film that Merle has been able to put up so far this season has been really impressive, and, and it just shows. I mean, he's also a track star, so that goes into play as well. But it'll be interesting to see kind of what he has to say. I'm, uh, I've been going back and forth with him a little bit on Twitter. Uh, let everybody else stay tuned on, on Jackets Online for that. Um, and then, as always, Wednesday nights, you know, we get the, the live Q&A going on the board. It sometimes gets a little crazy, but that's how it goes around there. <laughs> well, for Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Quinn, and we're going to wrap up the Jackets Online podcast. So I give Russell some time to get ready for his Q&A. And, uh, We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a successful outing for the Jackets in uh, Syracuse.